Welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 115. My name is Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. Well, this week I've been playing the Street Fighter VI closed beta, plus also Return to Monkey Island. Well, today I'm going to go through all the news from the Game Awards 2022, the biggest announcements, plus I'll be revealing my Game of the Year for 2022, and rounding up the biggest news from the year as well. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you're having a good week. I'm good this week, and it has been a busy couple of weeks in gaming, with the Game Awards taking place just over a week ago, and hats off to Jeff Keighley for putting on one of the best game award shows that we've had so far. It's the end of the year, so later on I'm going to be diving into my personal top 10 games of the year, plus I've also rounded up some of the biggest news from 2022 into my top gaming news of the year. So it has been a big year of gaming news, what with all of the acquisitions and the games industry press being gutted by large corporations, which is very, very sad to see. So even in the last week or so, on the day of the Game Awards, IGN lost a number of editorial staff. So I wanted to send my shout-outs to everyone at IGN, Fanbyte, Game Informer, Eurogamer, and also the Washington Post, sending love to everybody who had a rough year, and I really, really hope that 2023 is much better, and we can start providing stable, well-paid jobs for those in games journalism and those in the wider industry. Well, today I'm going to review the Game Awards 2022, check out the biggest announcements and trailers, plus also the awards themselves. I'm going to be checking out Street Fighter VI First Impressions, having had hands-on time with the game in the beta this weekend. Plus, I'm going to round up my review of Return to Monkey Island and have a look at my Games of the Year for 2022. There may be a few surprises in there, so look forward to that later on in the show. Before we get into it, it'd be great if you could leave a review over there on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get more eyes on the podcast. I do have a link in the podcast description. So if you like the show and you want to leave a review, I would really, really appreciate it. Plus, I'll read out the review on a future episode of the podcast. Well, this week in video games is also powered by Patreon, and you can check out the right tier for you over there on patreon.com forward slash this week in video games. So the tiers have been revamped into five easy to understand categories. We've got bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and producer. So bronze will get you early access to the podcast. Silver gets you audio versions of This Week in Video Games content, plus your name in the description of every podcast and YouTube video. Gold gets you exclusive monthly bonus content. And platinum gets your name read out on every podcast and every YouTube video. The final tier is producer, which goes above and beyond to support This Week in Video Games. You know, tiers start at just $3 per month, which is less than a cup of coffee. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games and find the right tier for you today. Well, that is it for my waffly intro, so let's get into what I've been playing this week. Well, this week I've been playing Return to Monkey Island, plus also the Street Fighter VI beta. Also been playing a bunch of Destiny 2, given the new Season of the Seraph launch recently, although I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm going to save my thoughts for that on a later episode of the podcast. Well, I will be talking about Street Fighter VI and Return to Monkey Island, though. And Monkey Island is probably one of the first games I played when I was a kid, so I was really looking forward to diving back into Return to Monkey Island. Now, I've covered point-and-click adventure games fairly extensively on This Week in Video Games over the years, and Ron Gilbert and co. are probably the biggest celebrities in the point-and-click adventure game genre. 
Well, before we get into all of that, let's check out the biggest announcements from the Game Awards 2022. Well, the Game Awards took place on the 8th of December 2022. It was a busy night full of awards and announcements. And today I'm going to round up all the best announcements, as there were quite a lot. Well, to kick us off for the evening, Dead Cells announced a new DLC called Return to Castlevania. A Dead Cells and Castlevania crossover certainly makes a lot of sense. That one is due in Q1 in 2023. Next up, we had the announcement that Vampire Survivors is coming to mobile apps, and it's out right now. And Vampire Survivors, already a massive hit on PC and Steam Deck. Now, coming to mobile, it's only going to make this even more popular. Well, Valiant Hearts introduced us to a new sequel. This one is coming from Ubisoft. It's titled Valiant Hearts Coming Home, and then Returnal is coming to PC, and that is due out in early 2023. Well, next we had a brand new game announcement with Hellboy Web of Word. That is a roguelike action-adventure game which has a very distinctive style, similar to a comic book. And then Horizon, Call of the Mountain, was then shown off again. Although, to be honest, I think I've seen quite a lot of this game. And that one is due out when the PSVR releases in February 2023. Post Trauma was next, and this one comes from Raw Fury, and is inspired by Silent Hill. PlayStation then showed off their new puzzle game called A Viewfinder, which is played from a first-person perspective, and then Among Us had a new hide-and-seek mode, and that is coming on December the 9th. Replaced, a side-scrolling action game set in the 80s gets a 2023 release. That is also going to come to Game Pass on day one. Street Fighter VI was then shown, with four character confirmations, including DJ, Manon, Marisa, and JP. We've also got a release date of the 2nd of June 2023, although I'm going to go into a little bit more detail on Street Fighter VI later on in the show. Well, then it was time for a really big surprise, perhaps the biggest one of the night. Hades 2 was announced from Supergiant Games, the follow-up to the wildly successful Hades. So Ken Levine of Bioshock fame then came on stage to introduce us to his new game called Judas, which is very, very similar to Bioshock. And then Bayonetta Origins, Cereza and the Lost Demon was announced. And that is a prequel. That is due on the 17th of March 2023. Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord, a new VR game was announced for the Meta Quest and the PSVR 2 due out in 2023, and Destiny 2 Lightfall showed off a new trailer, with the latest expansion from Bungie due to come out on the 28th of February 2023. Suicide Squad revealed Batman, played by the late Kevin Conroy. Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League comes out on the 26th of May 2023, and we've got The Last of Us Part 1 is coming to PC, coming on the 3rd of March 2023, and then we've got Star Wars Jedi Survivor, the follow-up to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, that one is coming out on the 17th of March, 2023. Next up, something I'm very excited about, and that is the follow-up to Celeste. This one is a side-scrolling platformer called Earthblade, and that one is due out in 2024. So Celeste, I think, was probably my game of the year when it came out originally in 2018. Really, really good. Still love playing it to this day, and really looking forward to Earthblade coming out in 2024. Well, then we got a little bit more on Dune's open-world survival MMO called Dune Awakening, which does look really, really fun. And Forspoken has a demo, and you can download that right now on the PS5. Hideo Kojima was up next, announcing Death Stranding Part 2. Personally, I didn't really get on well with the original, but perhaps I will go back to it given the sequel, and also the next-gen upgrade as well. And next, we had more on Immortals of Avium, due out in 2023, and this one is a first-person shooter, but it has magic. Yun Kazama returns in Tekken 8, and we've got some story info and gameplay. And next, we also got to see a little bit more about the Victorian fantasy adventure Nightingale, 
due out in 2023. Baldur's Gate 3 got a release date, which is August 2023, and Wayfinder was announced from Airship Syndicate, published by Digital Extremes, and that is from Warframe, and that is from the team who bring us Warframe. We got Fire Emblems Engage expansion passes then announced with launches on the 20th of January 2023. Well, Diablo 4 was up next with gameplay and also more story. Plus, we got the release date confirmed. It's coming out on the 6th of June 2023. This one recently had some very positive hands-on impressions. However, working conditions at Blizzard appear to be getting worse. So, very, very conflicted about this one. Really like the look of the game, but really, really hate Activision Blizzard. Well, next up, we got confirmation about Horizon Forbidden West DLC. This one's called Burning Shores and launches on the 19th of April 2023. Amazon are also partnering with Bandai Namco to bring Blue Protocol to the West in 2023. And this one looks like it could be absolutely massive. Remnant from the Ashes makes a return with a sequel. Plus, we got an announcement of Transformers Reactive. Nintendo showed up with a new trailer for the Super Mario Bros. movie. And then Ghosts of New Eden was next up. And that one comes from Don't Nod, and it's coming at the end of 2023. 40,000 Space Marine 2 is coming out in 2023, and Meet Your Maker is a building-slash-raiding game due on the 4th of April 2023. Then we've got Crash Team Rumble. That one is coming out in sometime in 2023. Lords of the Fallen got a new trailer. Then we got a look at Cyberpunk 2077 DLC Phantom Liberty that stars Idris Elba, which is a huge get. That one's set for 2023, and From Software announced the heavily rumoured Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon. That one is due out in 2023. The final announcement was a new trailer from Final Fantasy 16. This one is called Revenge, and that game is due to come out on June the 22nd, 2023. Well, then we got the winners of the awards themselves. So Game of the Year went to Elden Ring. Best Game Direction went to Elden Ring. Best Narrative went to God of War Ragnarok. Best Art Direction, Elden Ring. Best Score and Music, Bear McCreary. That is God of War. Best Audio Design, God of War Ragnarok. Best Performance, that was Christopher Judge, followed by an excellent speech. Games for Impact, that was As Dust Falls. Best Ongoing Game, Final Fantasy XIV. Unlucky Destiny 2, maybe next year. Best Indie went to Stray. Best Debut Indie went to Stray. Shame about Vampire Survivors there. Best Community Support went to Final Fantasy XIV again. But I reckon the team at Bungie and Destiny 2 did a really, really good job this year, so props to them. Best mobile game went to Marvel Snap. Best VR and AR went to Moss Book 2. Best action, Bayonetta 3. Best action adventure, God of War Ragnarok. Best role-playing game, Elden Ring. Best fighting was Multiverses. Best family game was Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Good to see Kirby getting some love there. Best sim or strategy, there's Mario plus Rabbid Sparks of Hope. Best sports and racing game, Gran Turismo 7. Best multiplayer, Splatoon 3. Most anticipated, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. I would have to agree with that one. Content Creator of the Year was Ludwig. Best Adaption was Arcane League of Legends. Innovation for Accessibility was God of War Ragnarok. Best Esports game was Valorant. Best Esports athlete was Jacob Ye Whitaker. Best Esports team was Loud. Best Esports coach was Mateus BZKA Tarasconi. And Best Esports event, well, that was the 2022 League of Legends World Champions. And that is it for the Game Awards 2022. Well, as I said before, I think the Game Awards 2022 was probably one of the best Game Awards showcases that we've had in a long time. Loads of really, really big announcements. Hades 2, really, really surprising. It was quite interesting to see that not a lot actually got leaked from that event. I know we heard about Armored Core before the event from From Software, but Hades 2, that is a real big surprise. Well, that is it for the Game Awards 2022 roundup. And next up, 
Let's check out the best gaming news from 2022. Well, it's nearly the end of the year, so it's time to take a look back at some of the biggest gaming stories from 2022. This includes Microsoft trying to buy Activision, Tears of the Kingdom getting delayed into 2023, EA and FIFA breakup, plus the GTA Giga leak. That was one of the biggest leaks in gaming history. Well, let's dive right into it. So Microsoft tries to buy Activision. The games industry saw a lot of mergers this year, including Take-Two buying Zynga for $12.7 which at the time we thought was a lot of money, only to be trumped a few days later by Microsoft kicking off the acquisition process with Activision, which could see a huge catalogue of games come to Xbox Game Pass, including Call of Duty, plus Blizzard stabler games like Overwatch, Diablo, World of Warcraft. Embracer Group also did some buying of their own this year, including Dark House, Square Enix's Juice X and Tomb Raider, plus also they bought the rights to Lord of the Rings. Now, the wildly popular Wordle was also purchased by the New York Times. I think that was for around $500 million. Well, next up, we got Zelda delayed, so Tears of the Kingdom, known then as the sequel to Breath of the Wild, was delayed in March 2022 until sometime in 2023. Nintendo kept their cards very close to their chest all throughout 2022, finally revealing the title Tears of the Kingdom and the release date of the 12th of May 2023. That was way back in September. Wind Waker and Twilight Princess were also heavily rumoured once again to release in 2022 as Switch ports, Although, unfortunately, they never showed up. Well, next up, we've got the Steam Deck. So Valve released their new handheld console to much fanfare this year, and it's gone on to become a smashing success. It's comparable to having something as powerful as a PS4 in your hands. It's comfortable, albeit a little bit large. And while it is great to play Dark Souls, Spider-Man and Elden Ring on a handheld device, many people simply couldn't take their eyes off Vampire Survivors. Well, next up, we've got E3's ups and downs. Earlier in the year, E3 2022 was cancelled, much to the surprise of no one, and that also made Jeff Keighley very happy indeed. Later on in the year, though, the ESA was back to say that E3 would return in 2023 with in-person events, which is going to be run by Reed Pop, who runs some of the best in-person gaming events in the US. So how E3 is going to interact with Summer Games Fest 2023 is yet to be seen, and it will be an interesting story to keep our eyes on next year. Yeah, many big companies like Nintendo, Sony and Microsoft run their own events now. It remains to be seen if they're going to be involved in E3's return or what exactly E3 is going to be. Well, next up, we've got EA and FIFA split. So EA and FIFA ended their relationship this year with FIFA 23 being the last FIFA-branded football game from EA. EA is going to continue to make football games, though. They are simply the best in the business. And EA announced their own brand called EA Sports FC. That's going to take over from FIFA games. Although, it doesn't quite have the same ring to it. You know, it's gameplay that matters though, and although official licensing for the games will be interesting, as EA Sports FC doesn't want to go the same way as Pro Evolution Soccer. Well, next up we've got the GTA 6 leak. So Rockstar Games was subject to one of the biggest leaks in gaming in September this year, when hours of footage was stolen from them and immediately posted online. GTA 6 is going to be set in Vice City, plus it's got a female lead. Now, Take-Two came out and said it wasn't going to affect their plans, but it was a huge leak of vast proportions, the likes that we haven't seen before. Now, sometimes you might get one or two images or maybe shaky cam footage filmed from a mobile phone, but this was hours of gameplay and dev kits, which appears to have been stolen from Rockstar's internal Slack. So the person 
who stole the footage, then posted it online saying he wanted to talk to Rockstar about selling the data back to them and expressed surprise that it had all gone viral. You know, they ended up in a detention centre and held until further notice. Yeah, personally, I wouldn't mess with Rockstar-level lawyers. Now, I do think this person is about to find out why. Well, next up, Netflix got into gaming in a big way. Well, Netflix made some surprising, great decisions when it came to gaming in 2022, including adding playable games to their library. You might think they would be terrible games, but they included hits like Into the Breach, Poin P, Before Your Eyes, Oxen Free, and also Moonlighter. So Netflix games are part of their wider subscription, meaning no ads or microtransactions. They are simply another benefit for Netflix subscribers. Well, next up, we got rest in peace Google Stadia. In a surprise to no one, Google pulled the plug on Stadia this year. It was launched in November 2019. Didn't really get enough customers or support from fans, so it's shutting for good on the 18th of January 2023. Google did say they would refund all their customers, which was quite surprising, to be honest. Although this really puts developers in a bad position, given it was another revenue stream for them to share. Well, next up, we've got price rises. So PlayStation raised their prices of consoles in Canada, Europe, UK, and Australia, but not in the US just yet. This reflects the global inflation going up and prices of everything rising. Microsoft intend to follow early on in 2023. Having said they want to get the holiday season out of the way because they are, quote-unquote, for the gamers. Well, MetaQuest raised their prices by $100 for the MetaQuest 2, and Sony's PSVR 2 had an eye-watering price tag of $599, meaning probably everyone is going to skip on that one. Nintendo are the only outlier by not raising their prices yet, but if they release their Super Switch or Switch Pro in 2023, I would imagine a price rise at the same time. Well, finally, we've got the Bayonetta voice acting drama. So just before Bayonetta 3 released, original voice actor Helena Taylor took to Twitter to claim she was offered an insulting amount of money to voice Bayonetta in the third instalment of the game, only $4,000. She decided not to go ahead, and the role was given to Jennifer Hale. Bloomberg then did some investigating into the matter and found out she was offered more than she originally claimed. The whole thing was really rather messy, and Helena Taylor didn't really come out of it looking very good at all. And also, Bayonetta 3 was a bit of a letdown. Well, that is it for some of the biggest gaming news in 2022. I'd love to hear what you think. Get in touch on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast, or you can email me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com, or you can get in touch through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thisweekinvideogames. Well, that is it for the biggest gaming news in 2022, but next up, let's check out my first impressions of the Street Fighter VI beta. Street Fighter VI looks like it's going to be one of the biggest games in 2023, and today I wanted to round up all the info that we have so far, plus give you some first impressions of gameplay, given I've been playing the Street Fighter VI closed beta over the past few days. Well, before we dive into the gameplay impressions, let's round up the key details that we know so far about the game. First of all, the release date. So Street Fighter VI launches on the 2nd of June 2023. It's going to be available on PS5, PS4, PC, and Xbox Series X. Not really sure why it's not releasing on Xbox One. That does remain a bit of a mystery. Uh, Crossplay is going to be available, which is good news for online players and not fragmenting the player population into platform buckets. Next up, Rollback Netcode. So Rollback Netcode is going to be available and is a key part of having a successful online fighting game. This allows for super fast, responsive, minimal latency matches with players in your region. 
So many fighting games have come and gone, and one of the main reasons the player base falls away is the lack of rollback netcode, and so this is great news for Street Fighter VI fans. Next up, let's have a look at the roster. So regarding the full roster, we haven't had this confirmed yet from Capcom at the moment. The only official characters are Ryu, Luke, Chung-Li, Guile, Jamie, Yuri, and Kimberly. However, we did have a leak of Street Fighter VI characters. If you believe the leak, then there's going to be 22 characters in total. But do take it with a pinch of salt. This is a leak, and we don't know if the full roster is going to be there at launch or if some characters are going to be released over time. But here is the full roster. So Ryu, Ken... Zangief, Dalsim, E Honda, Blanka, Guile, Chungli, Kami, DJ, Rashid, Yuri, Ed, Akuma, Luke, Marissa, Jamie, Mimi, Lily, JP, Kimberly, and AKI. Well, next up, let's have a look at the Street Fighter VI story. So, the Street Fighter VI story has moved past 1999's Third Strike, which means no M. Bison or Shadowloo. Guile and Chungli are going to need some new motivation, so I would expect new stories for them. There have been some hints that Street Fighter 3's characters are going to be returning, with Hugo and Gil heavily hinted in the trailers so far. Okay, next up, let's have a look at the game modes. So there's three separate game modes, Fighting Ground, Battle Hub, and World Tour. Fighting Ground is where you can play local multiplayer and training modes to hone your skills. Capcom said that all of Street Fighter 5's modes can be found in Fighting Ground, which is really, really good. That means plenty of arcade modes and survival modes alongside the regular co-op modes. Battle Hub is where you can create an avatar and walk around a virtual hub world, challenge other players online and get involved in events. You can also jump on classic Capcom arcades and play old games like Final Fight. The most recent Street Fighter 6 beta focuses on the Battle Hub, and I'll get into more info of that in my first impression of the gameplay in a moment. The main thing is with Battle Hub, this is your online hub world where you can challenge other players and climb the ranks to become a champion. Finally, we've got World Tour Mode, so this is described by Capcom as an open world where you can meet characters from Street Fighter and challenge them to matches. We don't really know too much about World Tour at the moment, but it sounds like Capcom are taking a unique angle to the story mode, which hopefully should be a whole load of fun. Okay, next up, let's have a look at my Street Fighter 6 first impressions. So I was lucky enough to get involved with the closed beta that ran from the 16th to the 18th of December. I got to play on PC. It was probably a poor choice on my part, given my PC isn't as powerful as my PS5 or my Xbox Series X. I spent about four hours playing so far, though, mainly playing with Ken, Ryu, and my old favourite Chung Li. I've got mixed results online, probably getting beaten about 70% of the time, but to be honest, for me, that's about normal when it comes to online Street Fighter. First of all, the game feels great. It's very responsive, it's quick, and I really, really love the animations. I'm using the classic controls... I tried to use the modern controls, but they didn't really work for me, and Street Fighter moves are so ingrained into my head, it's really hard to get used to a new control scheme. Now, while I mainly played with classic characters, some of the other characters really caught my eye, including Jamie and Yuri. I could definitely see myself playing as Yuri sometime in the future with her powerful kicking attacks. I didn't play Street Fighter V, so I don't know if there are new moves, but I really like the blocking system when you hold down two of the buttons to block a series of attacks, and then you can press both strong kick and strong punch at the same time to release an unblockable attack, unless your opponent does it at the same time. Chung Li's 100-foot kick had a change from hitting the kick button a plenty of times to a fireball movement, which confused me at first, but I do kind of like it, and I don't know if that is a change related to Street Fighter VI, or if that happened in 4 or 5. Well, the closed beta was focused around the battle hub, and it is a little bit strange for me to create a character in Street Fighter and walk them around a hub world. 
I imagine this is laying the groundwork for later adding in microtransactions, adding costumes, items, and other cosmetics. You know, we haven't seen what the store or the microtransactions are going to be like yet, but creating this avatar really gives off MMO vibes, and following that can often be some aggressive monetization. But we are just going to have to wait and see. I'm hoping that Capcom released the game free to play, then I wouldn't mind so much if they offered cosmetics to buy. I'm not really traditionally into cosmetic items like this, but I can see why they've done it from a business point of view. Walking around a virtual hub world sitting in arcades is an interesting take on things, plus you can chat to everyone else in the same instance, which so far has been quite well-mannered, as I think everyone is excited to get into the beta. Street Fighter holds a special place in my gaming history. You know, when I was a kid, I played Street Fighter 2 in the arcades, now on the SNES and the Mega Drive. I used to go to these tournaments in Eastbourne with my friends in an old video game arcade called Hacker's Alley. I wasn't really that good, but I did win a few matches, still playing back then with Chung Lee. My good friend Robbie Williams is also a big fan of Street Fighter. It's something we played together on various consoles, on an old original SNES and then later on a SNES Classic. It's something that we can still play together today. Ryu vs Ken or Ken vs Ken. We may start out a little bit slow and rusty, but soon we're into twitchy combat where we taunt each other into jumping or moving first. Yeah, great memories, so shout out to Mr. Robbie Williams and also anyone who ever went to Hacker's Alley in Eastbourne in the 90s to play Street Fighter 2 tournaments. Well, as first impressions go, this beta has only elevated my hype levels for the full game, coming on the 2nd of June 2023. When I buy the game, I'm going to be picking it up on the next-gen console rather than on PC, given my PC is fairly old about now and would look much better on my next-gen rather than my five-year-old PC. Definitely recommend trying it out though, and if you're a fan of Street Fighter, this one is going to be something you really, really want to try. Well, that is it for the Street Fighter 6 beta, but next up, let's check out the all-platform charts. Well, at number 10, we've got Minecraft holding steady there at number 10. At number 9, up two places from last week's number 11, is Animal Crossing New Horizons. At number eight, up one place from last week's number nine, it's Sonic Frontiers. At seven, holding steady, it's Pokemon Scarlet. And at six, up two places from last week's number eight, it's Nintendo Switch Sports. At number five, down one place from last week's number four, it's Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. At number four, it's Pokemon Violet. At one place from last week's number five. At number three, down one place from last week's number two, it's Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. And at number two, it's FIFA 23. That is down from last week's number one. And then back in at number one, it's God of War Ragnarok. And that is up two places from last week's number three. Well, congrats to the team at God of War Ragnarok. Really, really fantastic game. Really, really enjoyed that one. And I'll get into a little bit more about that later on in the show. Well, that is it for the all-platform charts. But next up, let's check out my review of Return to Monkey Island. Return to Monkey Island is a return for fans and developers alike. Monkey Island 2, released all the way back in 1991, ended in a confusing manner, which immediate sequels never really resolved. Ron Gilbert and team are back though to finish what they started all those years ago, in not only the best point-and-click adventure game of the year, but also one of the most charming games overall in 2022. The signature of early Monkey Island games is the sharp writing, the wit, the humour, and here in Return to Monkey Island we get all of that, and more in the opening section of the game. Before we dive into a swashbuckling adventure with Guybrush, Threepwood and Co, we're introduced to a couple of kids playing as pirates. The opening of the game is classic Monkey Island humour, 
with the writers switching things up on the play and keeping them on their toes. This is a short, sharp burst down memory lane, and then we're reintroduced to Guybrush Threepwood himself, who tells the tale of Return to Monkey Island. Familiar characters are back, including Wally, the cartographer, Guybrush himself, albeit a little bit older and wiser, and the infamous LeChuck, the main villain of the early games. And while characters in the settings are familiar, things are also different too. We start out on Melee Island, much like we did back in the original game. Guybrush soon takes to the high seas in search of adventure on Monkey Island, and we've got Terror Island and Bermuda. And Guybrush is determined to find the secret to Monkey Island, and LeChuck is on his tail once again. Well, you've got plenty of returning characters in this latest instalment of Monkey Island. However, some of the best moments come from new characters. Putra, LeChuck's chef aboard his ship, is instantly memorable with great one-liners and gags aplenty. Melee's Locksmith, aptly named Locksmith, is also a great character with a cool, calm demeanour and constantly is shutting down Guybrush's attempts at humour. New and old characters alike, the writers are definitely on top form. Return to Monkey Island is a classic point-and-click adventuring, although thankfully it's taken on board much of the modernisation techniques found in similar games. For example, you can hold down a single key and see all the interactable items. The UI is very clean, the items and menus aren't confusing, plus you can't get stuck in a frustrating loop. And early on in the game, you get given a hints book, which you can use when you get stuck. also gives you a few levels of responses, you know, ask once and the tip will be vague. Ask again, it'll be slightly more specific, and so on and so on until you're pretty much given the solution. This is great if you get frustrated by puzzles and simply want to enjoy the story. So this feels like point and click adventuring at its most refined. A walk around, you have a chat with all the weird and wonderful characters. They're either gonna make you laugh, engage you in some puzzling, or send you off on your merry way with a clue in hand and an idea for where to go next. Puzzles have been given a refresh or a modern feel to them. They don't feel rehashed from previous entries. They feel unique to the return of Monkey Island. And while some of the puzzles are collecting items, combining items, and ultimately figuring out what this random collection of items is in your inventory for, the best puzzles are reserved for conversations with characters. Throughout Return to Monkey Island, you'll laugh, plus there's a number of aha moments where you'll realise just how clever the game is as well. Puzzles in the latest entry do have much more pace to them compared to with the previous entries in the series. The game isn't necessarily easier than previous entries, but it does guide you towards a solution in a much smoother manner than previous titles. So if you want to sit back and relax and not worry too much about the puzzles, this is possible through the new casual mode. This actively simplifies the puzzles and keeps focus on the narrative in the game. If you just want to find out the secret to Monkey Island after all these years, well, this could be the game mode for you. There's also useful helpers in the game to modernise things. You know, I've talked about the hint system before. There's also the speed up mode, where you can also double click the ground to make Guybrush Threepwood walk faster. This is useful given the amount of times you have to travel through the environments. Perhaps the first time you want to take things nice and slow, but after the fifth time through the same environment, double clicking is a modern day time saver, and to be honest, I am all here for it. Moving on to one of the most contentious parts of the game is the art style. You know, it's not pixel art, it's got its own art style, which is beautiful in its own right, but it evoked a lot of strong feeling and feedback from the audience, so much so that Ron Gilbert continued to get negative feedback and he ended up quitting Twitter for a short time and taking down his personal blog and posting saying he was less inclined to share in the future given this response. So while it's okay to give constructive feedback, this veered into unhealthy territory and to be honest, downright rude. Now don't blame Ron for not wanting to share, but it's a real shame because one of the genre's defining developers and to scare him off like this really is not acceptable behavior. Personally, I don't really mind the art style. I like pixel art just fine, 
but this has its own style and is good looking with its own merits. I don't really tend to question these things. I look at it, take it in, and then it sort of fades away into the background while I play the game. I'm quite content to play the game as it is and accept the art style presented to me because artists and designers qualified for the job have decided this is the best art style for the game. I can certainly see the point of view of people not agreeing with it, but to be honest, you've got to do it in a respectful manner. Overall, Return to Monkey Island is a fantastic journey with some classic characters. I don't really want to go into spoiler territory with the narrative, but it's excellent, plus you get a word from the developers in there too. Much like players are returning to Monkey Island to discover its secrets, the developers are returning to a long-lost franchise of their past, one they swore they'd never return to at one point, but I'm really glad that they did decide to come back, even though it's 30 years later. Well, the game was developed by Terrible Toy Box. It was published by Devolver Digital. It's available for Switch, PS5, Xbox Series S and X, Mac, PC and Xbox Cloud Gaming. Originally, it was released on the 19th of September 2022. I should mention, also, it is available on Xbox Game Pass. So if you've got this service, definitely give it a try. Well, that is it for now for my review of Return to Monkey Island. Really one of the best games of the year, but talking about best games of the year. But next up, let's get into my rundown of the game of the year. 2022. Well, it's that time of year again. It's been a busy year for games in 2022 with many AAA releases and some surprise indie hits as well. 2022 has been a memorable year of gaming, plus we've had our fair share of delays as well, making 2023 a mouth-watering prospect. But that is next year, and that is not what we're here for today. Today is about the here and now and the last 12 months, so let's dive into my game of the year for 2022. At number 10, we've got Signalis. This one is an excellent survival horror game inspired by Resident Evil and Silent Hill. In Signalis, you play as an android called Elster. You wake up in a rundown facility, quickly find out all the other androids have been killed, plus some of their corpses are reanimated and trying to attack you. So the game is about isolation with a pinch of Alice through the looking glass occasionally crawling through holes in the ground to reveal new play spaces. This is survival horror with a pixel art look and feel from a semi-top-down view. At first may seem very simple, then puzzles to solve and leads to follow, but I'd recommend sticking with it until the end. Now, of all the games that came out this year, I often go back to how Signalis made me feel, and also it's available on Xbox Game Pass. Well, at number 9, we've got Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. So this one is the ninth generation of Pokemon games, and finally we've got a true open-world in Pokemon that we've wanted for years. Unfortunately, we've also got some of the biggest technical problems we've seen in the Pokemon game perhaps ever. You know, for some, this hasn't diminished their fun. For others, it's been a step too far. You know, Game Freak, the Pokemon company, and Nintendo, what are you doing? But buried under the technical mess is probably one of the best Pokemon experiences I've had since Pokemon Red and Blue. So if you're a Pokemon fan, then you're going to get a lot out of this game. The open world is a major step forward in the franchise, and it's probably the closest we've got to a Pokemon game that fans have been clamouring for since the reveal of Sword and Shield. Legends Arceus was an iteration in the right direction. Scarlet and Violet is also another. But Game Freak, you just need to take more time on these games. There's no need to release two major Pokemon games in the same year. It clearly isn't working for you, and you need some help. Even though it's broken in so many ways, I did love my time playing it, and still go back to it weeks after its release. Well, next up at number 8, we've got Tunic. This one is an isometric Zelda Souls mashup with plenty of exploration puzzles and surprisingly tough boss battles. You know, one of the biggest inspirations for the game 
is the Legend of Zelda series. And in those games, you generally start out with a sword or something like that, but Tunic attempts to flip that a little bit by starting out with a stick. But don't worry too much, a sword isn't too far away. Leads you into one of the big features of Tunic, and that is exploration. The game does a really good job of nudging you to explore, plus it makes it very worthwhile and rewarding at the same time. So when you first start out, you're boxed in via the bushes, and therefore a sword is very necessary to cut down the bushes and find your way out of there. Tunic is another game I thought a lot about while not playing it in 2022, which is normally a good sign. My first love in video games is the Legend of Zelda series. This comes very close to reliving that type of game. Plus also, you've got deciphering the instruction manual. That is a really, really nice feature. Well, number seven, we've got Kirby and the Forgotten Land. This one is the latest outing for our spherical pink friend. His first outing in 3D. The game is developed by Howe Laboratories and they've done a wonderful job converting Kirby to the 3D environment, providing some excellent combat, great platforming and overall a very wholesome and fun experience on Nintendo Switch. As a Kirby fan, there's plenty of nostalgia found in Forgotten Land as well. Kirby's classic copy abilities are present and perhaps the best they've ever been. You can suck in an enemy and take on some of their abilities, plus you've got a load of new features. Mouthful mode has been introduced which left many Kirby fans surprised during that original Nintendo Direct where they first announced it. Kirby inhaled a whole car and then had the ability to drive around just like the object he's holding in his mouth. The mechanic is more than just fun humour though, it's your key to solving puzzles in the game by taking on abilities of the objects in really interesting ways. Now, Kirby surprised many in 2022, probably being Nintendo's most successful title of the year. Pokemon does take that one just by sales alone, but Kirby was bigger than many people's expectations, plus I think it's going to be in the conversation for many outlets in Game of the Year 2022. Well, number six, we've got Ollie Ollie World. This one was an early entry in 2022. So Ollie Ollie World is a skating game from Roll 7. Rather than your Tony Hawk or your skate type of skateboarding game, this is a 2D side scroll that's very easy to pick up and play. Great game for long trick sessions, or if you want to fill in gaps in your schedule, Ollie Ollie World has great gameplay, and the game grabs you immediately. Much like games like Celeste or Super Meat Boy, you probably die a bunch, you're going to be taught along the way. Ollie Ollie World wasn't really on my radar at all at first. I saw it on Nintendo Direct back in 2021. Didn't really think it was going to be for me, but after a few hours with the game, I can honestly say Ollie Ollie World is really, really good fun. Now, it's quick, easy to pick up, plus it's a very relaxing game to get into and chill to. The animation and music back up the excellent gameplay, and whether you're playing solo or against friends, there's something here for all players. Well, Roll7 had a great year in 2022 with two great games, Ollie Ollie World and Rollerdrome, two very different titles. Personally, I think Ollie Ollie World is the best. Right, number five, we've got Marvel Snap. So I've never had a mobile game on my personal game of the year list before, so this is a first for me. Marvel Snap's a mobile card game that managed to reduce the complexity and distill it into micro bursts of distilled fun. The game is getting a wide range of praise from all angles and for good reason, this one is short, sharp and snappy, and also loads of fun. Not normally a fan of mobile games, I steer well clear of them. Never really been into digital card games either. But despite these contradicting facts, now I'm really enjoying Marvel Snap and I find myself playing when I've got a few moments throughout the day. The games are short, quick and entertaining. Now if you've got a commute, this one's going to pair perfectly well with that. Although it equally fits into relaxing on the couch or a quick game before I go to bed. Now, I've gone from knowing nothing about the game to playing it most days per week. Plus, it's free to download on iOS and Android, so I would recommend giving it a try. And number four, we've got Vampire Survivors. This one is a bullet hell-like shooter. Then throws in roguelike mechanics to create a surprising and very satisfying game. One that's likely going to bring you back time and time again. 
The objective of the game is to survive, and there's an increasing number of enemies coming your way trying to kill you, and it gets really, really frantic quite quickly. Starts out with only a few enemies, but then the screen fills up really, really quickly, and soon hundreds of enemies are circling around you trying to eliminate you. The game is played from a top-down perspective, and the map appears to go on and on, so you can choose to run away if you wish. There's only so far you can run before you get stuck into battle. Vampire Survivors recently had its 1.0 release. It's also available on Xbox Game Pass and Xbox now. It shows a lot of promise, and if the team keeps supporting it like they have done in 2022, this one is going to be a massive hit and hit the heights of another very successful indie game from Early Access called Hades. Now, it's fairly unique in that it blends bullet hell and roguelike mechanics, and the core gameplay loop is really, really good fun. So there are a few issues with the starting and later moments of runs, but then you've got the gold lock zone in the middle of games, and it feels absolutely amazing. If the team can tap into that, expand on it, then it could be an absolute winner. Well, next up, we've got my number three. It's Destiny 2. So Destiny 2 had a funny year. Started strong with the release of The Witch Queen, introducing the new legendary campaigns. Plus, we've had four seasons since then. Bungie have overhauled the light subclasses, the sandbox, the abilities. However, it seems that enthusiasm for Destiny 2 within the community is at an all-time low. Personally, I am still enjoying it. I like the revamp of events. Currently, we're focused on the holiday event called The Dawning. Much of the conversation this year has been around the overly grindy activities, not respecting players' time, PvP being in the worst state the game has ever seen, and the stale seasonal model. You know, Bungie said they clocked these issues, but it's going to take time for feedback to work through into the content cycle, probably the middle of next year. So it's been a year of ups and downs for Destiny 2, but Lightfall is on the horizon for early 2023, and with that comes a lot of new features, and I, for one, am very, very excited. Okay, next up we've got my top two, and which order are they going to be in? Well, at number two, it's Elden Ring. So it was a coin flip for me for Game of the Year between Elden Ring and God of War Ragnarok. I think objectively, Elden Ring is the better game, but I didn't enjoy it as much as playing through God of War Therefore, God of War Ragnarok is my game of the year in 2022. Elden Ring feels like the next level of open-world RPGs, something that Breath of the Wild did back in 2017, and The Witcher 3 did before that. It feels like Elden Ring is the next step. My main issue with the game is that I'm terrible at Souls games, and it tends to ruin my experience of the games. But that's a me problem and not the game's problem. Elden Ring was a real moment in 2022, one that's going to live long in the memory as a game like this only comes around once or twice per generation. There isn't really much more to be said about Elden Ring that hasn't been said already by better and more qualified writers, so if you haven't played it, get out there and give it a try. Finally then, it's my number one, it's God of War Ragnarok. So it's always going to be tough to follow up on one of the best games of the last generation, and God of War Ragnarok lived up to my very high expectations now, I played through the original in 2018 and played through it again recently to get ready for Ragnarok. And this sequel manages to deliver when it comes to narrative, performance and action. Visually, it's stunning. The audio work is amazing. And it's a really big game and it managed to keep great pace throughout the game, twisting and turning, taking you from one location to the other rapidly and mixing up the gameplay like puzzles, exploration, action and also boss fights as well. You know, God of War Ragnarok's an excellent sequel. Somehow manages to go above and beyond the original game to give us a great ending to Kratos and Atreus's Norse adventures. There's so many first-class efforts here from Sony Santa Monica, including the writing, the performance, the artwork, the character modeling, the audio design, the combat. The game is a true 10 out of 10 in every way. I don't think it is a perfect video game. It is similar to 2018's God of War, 
albeit turned up to 11. You know, one thing I'm certain of, this release is going to spend Sony Santa Monica as one of the best developers in the world, up there with Naughty Dog and also the Zelda team from Nintendo. So whatever they do next, sign me up because I'm definitely going to get it. Okay, now I'm going to do a recap of my game of the year 2022. So at 10, we've got Signalis. At 9, it's Pokemon Scarlet. 8, it's Tunic. 7, it's Kirby and the Forgotten Land. 6, it's Oli Oli World. 5, Marvel Snap. 4, Vampire Survivors. 3, Destiny 2. Number 2, it's Elden Ring. Then at number 1 for my game of the year 2022, that is God of War Ragnarok. Well, that is it for my Game of the Year 2022. I hope you enjoyed it. And let me know your Game of the Year on Twitter at TWIVG Podcast, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games, or you can email me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. Well, that is it for Game of the Year 2022. But next up, let's see what we've got coming out in the next few weeks. Well, not that many games coming out in the next few weeks, as the next few weeks are the holidays, of course. So first of all, on the 20th of December, we've got Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion, coming to PS4. On the 22nd, we've got Naraka Blade Point, that's coming out on Xbox One. Also on the 22nd, we've got Valkyrie Profile Lenneth, PS5 and PS4. And then we were also supposed to have Sports Stories sometime in December, but it doesn't seem like that's coming out anytime soon. Well, that is it for this week's episode. And if you want to get involved with the show, get in contact through patreon.com forward slash this week in video games or on Twitter at TWIVG podcast. Or you can email me at podcast at this week in video games.com. I would love to hear your questions, your comments, your video game stories, and any feedback you've got on the show. Well, thank you so much for listening and for more this week in video games content like this. Like and subscribe on YouTube and also your favorite podcast app and share with a friend. Well, this is my last episode before the holidays, so if you celebrate Christmas, I hope you have a lovely Christmas. I'm going to be back on New Year's Day, so also, Merry Christmas and have a Happy New Year. It's been really awesome spending time talking about video games with you in 2022, and really looking forward to doing more in 2023. So if you enjoyed this podcast or found it useful, liking and sharing it would really help me out. Otherwise, you can check out the other podcasts in the feed. Well, thanks again, Merry Christmas, and I'll see you really, really soon.